Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 14th November 2018 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Well, there are some cool winds blowing now in Hong Kong, but the air, which was foul last week, is much cleaner this week, thanks to those same breezes. As we ride the tram, or take the MTR, or even the ferry around our city this week, we'll be listening to a story by Giselle, who tells us all about all the poetry she isn't going to write in the future. After Giselle, we have a story from Janita, who tells us about the pitfalls of life from the other side of the desk. First, though, a hearty hello and a grateful thanks go out to our hometown listeners, and thanks for coming out to support our last show. Thanks for listening goes out, too, to the listeners this week in Bogota in Colombia, Oskaman in Kazakhstan, Ibrini in Hungary, and Cornavaca in Mexico. We are so pleased our stories are going into so many ears all around the world. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks to Haley, who wrote us this review. I used to live in Hong Kong, and real-life stories of people from around the world is what made it such a special place. This podcast is full of great, well-told stories to remind me of HK. Thanks, Haley, for the encouraging words. Our November show, as part of the Hong Kong International Literary Festival, went swimmingly, and we extended our storytelling community with some new faces. Never ones to rest on our laurels, though, our storytellers are now getting ready for our December show, which will be back in our usual home at the Fringe Club. Tickets will be on sale soon, and you can find all the information you desire at www.hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now with the story for the September show with the theme of Something Blue, where it was told in front of a live audience at the Fringe Club, is Giselle. So a few years ago, when I was throwing away my textbooks after my secondary graduation, I found the old diaries and the poems I've written. They gave me the worst cringes that I wrapped those notebooks in my uniforms, including the one I was writing at that time. I even walked to the next block to throw those embarrassments away. I still think about that a lot, the evidence of being young in a plastic bag. You know, when you were a student, you would write all your deadlines on a planner. Mine used to be one from Muji, because I once saw a Muji pen on his desk and assumed that he used everything from that brand. So in my plain, humble Muji planner, I write the most unacceptable kind of relationship to have in a Hong Kong Christian school. My planner was the witness to my crazy, insatiable crush on him, Michael my English teacher. <laughs> on 16th of January, 2013, I copied a quote I found online. Sometimes it takes a good fall to know where you stand. That day, we had our last assembly as a secondary student, and some classmates went up on stage to thank the teachers, including Michael, and it took me just that to be jealous. Two days later, it was the last day of class, and I went all out on my planner, you see. I even copied a poem that soon became my mantra. If you love a flower, don't pick it up. Because if you pick it up, it dies and it ceases to be what you love. 
So if you love a flower, let it be. Love is not about possession. Love is about appreciation. I gotta say, I do admire the resilience I had when I was 17. The last entry was added on the last day I saw him that year, and translated from Chinese, it says, "It took me one second to turn and leave, yet it took me a whole lifetime to forget." And those were just the quotes on my planner, let alone the embellished fantasies on my actual diary. <laughs> and I have to confess, Michael was my teacher, my very attractive English teacher in his twenties. But first, hear me out, gentlewomen of the jury. So, um, in my school, we were separated into different classes for English every year: the regular class and the elite class, which were broken into. Two separate groups, which classrooms are on the top floor. So on the first day of Form Four, I had English on the seventh period, right after lunch. That day, I was so nervous about which class I was gonna end up in. I couldn't eat anything. I stared at the window, waiting for the elite class teacher to come and pick me, but he just walked by, and I was like, "That's it. For the first time, I'm not in the elite class." From now on, class is all about basic grammar rules and stupid exam tips that no one cares about. But then I thought, no way, I wasn't gonna turn into Sisyphus. Not at that point when I haven't even started working yet. I cannot be in this class. I need to get out. And alas, my white knight came to save me from all this absurdity. <laughs> Few minutes later, the elite class teacher from another group, Michael, came. And told me to go to the second classroom on the top floor. I hated all kinds of exercise, but that day, with my empty stomach, I ran so quickly like an Olympic athlete. At the end of that year, my class teacher told my dad that I wouldn't be able to get into uni if I continued to get all Fs in math. My dad was furious, of course, but instead of bringing him to my math teacher, I brought him to my savior, Michael. I ran to him and I spoke next to his ear, as I told him the trouble I was in, before my dad stepped into the teacher's lounge. I swear to God, it was the most charming gesture when he told me, "Don't worry, I'll handle it." <laughs> From that point on, Michael was no longer my teacher. He was thin, tall. He was my white knight in a Hong Kong U hoodie that he wears to school every single day. I decided I am going to that same school and get that same exact hoodie. At the moment, Michael just seemed to be so perfect. He was like blue petals of light floating in the water, airy, light, pure. The interactions I have shared with Michael were trivial, I swear. But if someone were to read my planner, they would have thought that Michael and I have had dirty little rendezvous at the staff lounge every single day. I mean, when he gave us his number so that we could text him for assignments, I copied that number over and over with different colors until I memorized it by heart. I was determined to text him as a friend after I graduate, when I'm no longer confined by my role as his student. Three years later, I graduated, but Michael was still cold and distant. So then, 
I found this hot, exciting place called Tinder. <laughs> I once met a guy there, and one week later, I made him my boyfriend. Because, like Michael, he was religious, so religious that on our first date, he left early just to attend church, and I didn't mind. However, I broke up with him when he pronounced "carpe diem" as "carp diem." After all, Michael was the English teacher who taught me the literal phrase "carpe diem." One time, I went to a motel in Kowloon with my manager from work, who wasn't even my boyfriend. It's only because, like Michael, he has good English, and he was my senior. But apparently, he wasn't religious enough. And once I re realized that, I texted Michael, and I confessed to him as if he were a priest. What he told me was that I have sinned, and I should go read the Bible, and until I feel painful enough, I change. What's worse was that he knew about my not so subtle crush on him all along, and he hinted that he wouldn't condone childish fantasies like that. And suddenly, it all made sense. For a while, I still wondered what he thought of me, but at that moment, I knew. In his eyes, I was filthy with layers of sin crusting on the folds of my brain. I started to see how I was holding onto a rotten leaf. That has been floating in the musty swamp for years, and suddenly, after every date, I'd go home and I'd brush my teeth and lips, and I'd scrub myself in the shower for an hour. But honestly, till this day, I still don't know what exactly was the trigger to that change. All I know is that I was trying to wash away everything about him, whoever he is. And now I don't even remember much about Michael. Or those guys, or whatever the fuck I was thinking. All I could retrieve now is abstraction, enveloped by all those flowery language. Have I stopped remembering, or have I stopped imagining? It is always here. It has always been this hiatus in my head where my reality and my imaginations collide. And as years went by, I realized there's this gap in my mind, and I couldn't distinguish what was real and what was only in my head. I keep diaries, as if doing so could save me from my own imaginations. Writing is the only way to immortality, the only way to give life to the perishing. That was why I started the habit of keeping a diary again in uni. But this time, I write nothing but facts. <laughs> Sticking to the facts sounds like a good idea. Who doesn't look back on the poems and writings from our youths and cringe just a little bit? Giselle came to one of our free workshops with a rough draft of this story, and that's how she ended up on our stage. Our workshops are open to anyone who wants to give storytelling a try. You don't need to have a polished story, and you can even come if you don't want to get up on stage. Our workshops are small and informal. And usually held in a coffee shop in Hong Kong. Details can be found on Meetup or at HongKongStories.com. If you do want to try your talent on stage, tell the workshop host or come to a pitch. If you only want to listen, that's okay too. 
You can listen to the podcast, obviously, but you can also come to a live show. Our next one will be at the Fringe Club on December 5th. Tickets can be found through the website hongkongstories.com. And now, here with the story from May 2018 is Janita. I'm in the doctor's and I show the doctor my arm. I can't really bend it fully and neither can I straighten it because my triceps is so tight it just won't budge. And the doctor prods and pokes it a little bit and then sits back in his chair. So, how did you get this injury? Uh, trampolining. There's a sense of pity in his eyes as he moves forward and says, you know, at your age, you really shouldn't be doing these things. And with a sense of anger in my 50-year-old eyes, I say, that is disgusting. What kind of doctor are you? You're supposed to be telling people to live life to the full, not sending them home to do their knitting. And he gave me one of those quirky doctor smirks and then wrote out the referral for the physiotherapy. Ten days later, I'm standing in a studio with a group of media students. I've promised to help them out to uh, record a program that they're streaming to the rest of the school called Teachers Got Talent. And I'm doing a kind of song and dance number. In fact, I'm doing a rap to MIA's Airplane. (laughs) And I've... uh, Paper planes. And I've changed the words a little bit to reflect the fact that I'm their English teacher. And I'm feeling a bit smug, actually, because I've managed to get the word onomatopoeia in there, too. (laughs) And so this is the night before. This is the final rehearsal, the night before the show. And... um, I've been keeping my act a bit of a secret from the students, especially my finale, which is a backwards handspring. I have been practicing for about a month, and I would normally be feeling super confident if it wasn't for the heavily bandaged triceps. But the media teacher tells me that she wants to see me do it because she wants to see if my feet are going to hit the overhanging lights. So I wait until the kids are just going and collecting their bags ready to go home. And then I decide to go for it. And I launch myself up and backwards. And there's a moment when I'm literally flying. But I'm a bit enthusiastic. And I go a bit too high. And that's when my unconscious takes over. Hey, better take care of that arm. Better move it out the way. Perhaps make the other one do more of the work. And my body obeys. So as my hands come down, my good arm moves to the center and takes my complete body weight down into the ground. And I see my elbow bend the wrong way, accompanied by a really loud squelching sound. I land back on my feet and stand up. No one has noticed anything. But I notice the rush of numbness traveling through to my fingertips. And when I look down, I can see that the elbow joint is already swelling. So without saying anything, because I'm thinking this might be a little bit serious, I get into a taxi and I go straight off to the doctor's surgery. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I go to the doctor's surgery, I hardly ever see the same doctor twice. But this time, I'm ushered through a rather familiar door, and inside, I see a familiar face. He sits back in his chair. So, how did you get this injury? I'm doing a backwards handspring. There was a sense of pity in his eyes, for sure. But in this situation, he knew better than to tell me, I told you so. But he was right. In my 50s, I shouldn't be doing backward handsprings. No. I should be doing somersaults. Because with somersaults, you don't have to put your hands down. Thanks for listening to these stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. Our usual and undiminished thanks go out to our fabulous hosts of the September show, Mel, and to the host of the May 2018 show, Janita, who curated and directed all the stories in the shows. It's hard work, and it was well done. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. May your week be filled with a decadent pastry, a small yet precious object, and the scent of a strange new encounter.